life of a long-term multitasker. This is the Casually Profound series, where conversations create deeper connections with others and yourself, where every interaction is an opportunity to laugh, think, and feel fully, where magical moments happen spontaneously and abundantly. This series has discussions that transcend the surface level of what people do or who they are in the outer world. It aims to normalize thinking. I hope for all those engaged in this discussion, including myself, the guest, and especially you, the active listener, we stop and ponder on the ultimate question, who am I really? All while enjoying every second of it, of course. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Casually Profound series. I'm back here again for round four with good friend Adam K. Mack from Houston, Texas. And, but today we are back in Charlotte, recording for the second time in, well, the Charlotte metropolitan area. Uh, but this time we're recording in our third state. First one was Texas. Second one was North Carolina. This one is in Fort Mill, South Carolina. We are on a mission to record 50 episodes, at least 50 episodes in the 50 United States, um, and potentially more, depending on <laughs> what rules we um, use. But anyways, that's another rabbit hole to go down later. Um, but yeah, great to have you, Adam, at Knowledge Port Coffee in Fort Mill. Yeah, Looking forward to our conversation. Great to be here. Uh, I have to point out that at this point, it would require at least 51 episodes to record in all 50 states because we've already recorded twice in Texas. But great to be back for uh, appearance number four on the podcast. Also my fourth time in the state of South Carolina. So hopefully the combination of two fourths uh, is good luck today. Mm. We'll find out. I hope so, too. All right. So we're going to skip some of the normal stuff that we do for the normal Casual Profound series for all those avid constant listeners out there. So we're just going to dig right into it um, as we're sitting on this nice, nice couch um, in Knowledge Perk. So first question, which is a different first question than other episodes. Adam, what are your values? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, first of all, I have to say I'm glad that you did not tell me the question in advance. Uh, you asked me before we started recording if I wanted to know the question or not, and I said no. Um, so I'm glad that you did not tell me the question in advance. Uh, it also seems to be different than the sorts of uh, opening and closing questions, for that matter, that we've discussed previously. Things such as uh, who others think you are, who, who you think you are, who you are. Um, this is very much aligned with all three of those questions and potential responses, uh, but certainly a different verbiage and a different angle uh, at approaching those questions. So now that I've sufficiently stalled around <laughs> and given myself time to think while talking, uh, I'll attempt to answer your question. So what, what are my values? Um, so I guess I would say uh, that I believe in honesty and hard work in trustworthiness, um, sort of the golden rule, uh, you know, do unto others as uh, you would want them to do unto you. Um, a belief in uh, trying to do good for other people. Um, 
hoping, of course, that it's reciprocated, but even if it's not reciprocated, um, still recognizing the joy and satisfaction and pleasure that comes with uh, doing right by others. Um, so I, a lot of my values are very much connected with the way that we should treat each other, the way that I try to treat other people and interact with other people with honesty, uh, hard work, I guess, being more of a, of a self um, motivator, uh, but certainly that being a value. Um, kindness, humility, that would be uh, something um, that I would hold uh, as a value. Um, perhaps empathy could be added to the list. Um, so th there are a lot of uh, directions, I guess, that we could take it from here. Uh, and a lot of things that I would consider to be my values. Um, now, since you mentioned before we started recording that this was not going to be uh, strictly a conversation we were strictly adhering to a uh, interviewer-interviewee role, um, I need to return the favor and find out what your values are. It seems like that will provide um, additional grist for uh, you know, wh wherever we go with this conversation from here. So, Sai, uh, what are your values? as we sit here on Saturday, March 18th, 2023, uh, in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Mm. Yes, and how are my values different in South Carolina versus North Carolina versus right. Tech? <laughs> we, yes, I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. So. But, you, you know, so we do joke, you are right. joking when you say that. Um, but I don't know, maybe someone does have different values when they're at home, when they're in their place of residence, than when they're elsewhere. I, I would like to think that. I'd like to think that we're all consistent individuals. But I don't know, maybe my behavior, and as reflected by my values, is slightly different in Houston than it would be you know, when I'm on vacation in Thailand. I don't know. That's, uh, that'd be a, a topic to explore. I'd like to think that I'm consistent throughout. But um, I don't know, maybe if you add language barriers and a certain level of skepticism of other people, I. Uh, you know, places that have uh, frequent scammers and uh, you kind of have to keep your guard up, uh, avoid pickpocketers, things like that. Maybe the val your values and the way that you relate to other people are different. Anyways, I will turn it over to you. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a good point. Hmm. I will stall by thinking here and not talking. <laughs> uh, I think the first couple that come to m mind are like integrity and wisdom. So like integrity is, for me, is basically alignment of thought, word, and deed. It's like, hey, what am I saying? What am I thinking? What am I doing? If all those are in the same, you know, one's not different than the other, then I feel that's living a life of integrity. So, I want that to be, I see that as a value, um, as a bigger value for me than maybe in the past, where I would have maybe sacrificed that value. Um, so, so would you say, and, and then of course feel free to take this wherever you want, would you say that sort of bluntness would fit with your view of integrity because you're saying alignment of thought, word, and deed, right? So sometimes what one of us may be thinking could be rather blunt or curt um, in terms of our initial perception of an individual, perhaps incorrectly, but you know, we all are human and have these sorts of thoughts. So is that a, is, is sort of a, a bluntness um, a part of your view of integrity, a, kind of a, a brutal honesty? So I wouldn't characterize my, at least currently, my 
speaking style as bluntly honest. Um, I would like to be more direct than I am right now in okay. certain situations. So there's a quote out there um, by an Indian, like one of um, Indian like master guru. I, I have recently thought of him as a philosopher and philanthropist, but um, regardless, um, he says, you don't need to always speak. You don't need to always oblige, but you can speak obligingly. So I, so when, I, when I'm in that situation, like, hey, I want to deliver some sort of feedback, deliver some sort of, like, hey, am I living in a, living with integrity when I'm talking versus like, hey, these are the initial judgment thoughts that I have about someone or something in the first, like, milliseconds. I will think back to that obligingly quote. Like, okay, I can still have these thoughts and communicate my intentions in a way that doesn't impact them negatively, at least what I perceive to be negatively. So there, right. inherently there's going to be some sort of like, sort of bias from what I say, what I think is going to be, like how they're going to receive it and perceive it. So, um, you know, for here's an example, like I recently had a performance review for the first time that I was the hiring manager for, or the supervisor for. So I was the first time on that side of it as a manager rather than the supervisee. So that was a room for improvement. Um, I felt like, hey, here's the feedback. Here's like the you know good things that um, this person's done that's helped the team out. Here are the you know traits and qualities that they can improve on. How I deliver those things can be improved and not like beating around the bush. So I think you know integrity there. I think I have the intention of integrity, but how it's delivered. That's I think that comes with practice and confidence in what I'm communicating. And I think uh, trust is also a p part of that. Um, trust, so, not, not, not necessarily, I mean, I think it's inherent in a, as a value, but trust between me and the other person in that context to be like, hey, do they trust me enough to, for me to deliver feedback that may not be positive and for them to know that I have their best interest in mind? So if that's the case, then I think I'd be able to deli deliver that feedback or whatever those thoughts are in a direct and obligingly way as possible. Okay, so integrity, wisdom, trust, what, what else would you consider to be a part of your value system, so to speak? Yeah, well, so let me expand on wisdom. Yes, um, please. Wisdom for me is, so I would bucket knowledge under this, knowledge as an aspect of wisdom. So wisdom is, for me is, seeking more about yourself seeking more about myself for me and not just the accumulation of knowledge but the application of that knowledge into some sort of tangible actions that actually become embedded within us so th there's a phrase out there i forgot by who it's like a proverb but it says knowledge is only a rumor until it's in the muscle so knowledge is only a rumor until it is in the muscle and it's, that's actually one of the uh, intros that I have for fully content um, series of my podcast so for that one it's like hey I, I mean we're at knowledge perk right but like 
I can I can read all these books, I can watch all these documentaries, listen to all these podcasts, but at the end of the day, if if I if my mindset doesn't change, if my actions don't change, then in my mind, I've consumed all that information for. Well, I'm not making the most out of it, basically. Right. It's it's not just about knowledge for the sake of having knowledge. It's about gaining knowledge to do something with it or change something with it. Exactly. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, those three, integrity, wisdom, trust. Do you want to uh, point the conversation back to me to give you right, some yeah. time to think? I know, yeah. I mean, those are three right now. Um, yeah. I mean, so I guess which... So you mentioned honesty, hard work, trustworthiness, golden rule, um, good for others, humility, empathy... Which of these do you feel like you've had? Like, is there an example that you've like employed, like humility or empathy or like any one of these? Um, yeah, that that's a good question. Um, I would say I, I feel like a lot of the time. Um, I do things because they're you know, of value to other people. They're helpful to other people, um, and give my time to accomplish that. So, um, you know, that would that could be lumped under the the kindness uh, category. Um, could be uh, connected to the notion of empathy. Um, you know, much of what I am doing right now as a teacher and the way I go about that job and much of what I hope to do um, down the road with my own entrepreneurial endeavors through blogging and podcasting and, and public speaking and, and writing and things like that um, do involve you know, trying to help other people um, be positioned for success, for fulfillment, for happiness. Um, so that does align with a sort of kindness. It does align with a, um, you know, with an empathetic mindset um, at least I, I, I at least I would hope that the way I'm doing it does um, you know honesty trustworthiness uh, reliability um, you know that's less about giving I guess for as, as purely giving and it's more of a, of a mutual um, sort of relationship uh, and that's you know just as important Important in a lot of cases because obviously they're two parties to any relationship. It's not just about you know providing for the other person. As as important as it is to um, engage in these actions to help other people, um, but it is you know important to um, know that you can uh, you know. I, I'm not suggesting that it's some sort of quid pro quo, but there should be a sort of trust that. Um, you know, what you're doing is, uh, I guess, going to be appreciated. Maybe that's not the right, the right way to put it. But, um, you know, it, it is nice to know that, um, you know, you can count on other people as well as they can count on you. That was a very rambling answer. Yeah, no, I mean, you, like, do you feel like, I guess another came, question that came up to mind while you were talking was, 
Has there been any situation? One way I know you're asking good questions because I'm giving rambling answers that seem to get increasingly <laughs> uh, incoherent as I go along. <laughs> no, that's so good. So that means it's making me think, which is good. <laughs> well, I mean, something we can always revisit of course. since we are recording this, of course. So one question that came up was like, has there been a situation where you feel like, felt like some of these values, whether you've listed them here or not, where your values have are com in competing interests, basically. It's like, oh, here's like this value, pit it against this value, and like you have to almost choose between what you prioritize more. Right, I mean, last time we had this, uh, w that we recorded on the Casually Profound series when we were both sleep deprived and certainly were casual, hopefully we were profound as well when, when we were recording at Rice Village in, in Houston. Um, you know, we talked about the concept of sacrifice and um, you know, we discussed some different angles of that and indicated that maybe sacrifice is not really sacrifice, it's, it's just a way of prioritizing something else over something that you could be prioritizing instead. But I think we, we did you know, seem to reach an agreement that there is some sort of prioritization that goes on. And if there is going to be prioritization of potential actions that could be potentially beneficial for us and for other people, um, then that would indicate that there is also, there might be circumstances where there's a prioritization of values. That doesn't mean that you abandon any of those values, but um, it, it does, I, I wouldn't say, that, I, I'd like to say that they're not in conflict with each other. Um, so maybe, maybe it's not choosing one at the expense of another, uh, but maybe there are times where you decide that you are going to, um, I don't know, emp emphasize empathy over trust maybe. Um, if someone that you know well, or someone that you don't know well for that matter, uh, is, going for, is going through a rough time and you want to help them, uh, there is a certain level of inherent trust that should be involved in that process. Um, but you know, maybe at that moment in time it's more about uh, an empathy and a kindness to help that person through a difficult situation than it is about a, uh, you know, being able to rely on them um, or trust them in, in other components that perhaps those sorts of things will come once that individual moves through that difficult portion of their life. Yeah. So like one, for me, one, so the reason I brought this up is because my brother, he's also a coach, so he's like a mindset life coach, um, among other things. And so one of his first things that he does with his clients is he calls it a values elicitation exercise. So that's kind of what I was getting at with like this initial first question about what our values are. Um, and not only, you know, we've like listed them out verbally here. From that, from that list, what he goes through is a prioritization of those values of like, hey, is, is growth important to you? Well, what about integrity? Well, what about transparency? Like all these different sorts of things. Um, so we actually did that as a, as a family or my parents did. So we had like a little family discussion last week. And so one of the values that I guess that would, that would have been helpful context coming oh, into this conversation. Yeah. 
Well, so one of the um, things that my uh, parents mentioned was, or something that they didn't mention was transparency, but that's kind of been inherent in some of the things that they expect from me and my brother or other family members, etc. Um, but also making each other, like my dad making my mom happy and vice versa. Like, so happiness and love as a value there. Now, there was an instance in the last, um, you know, last year that um, basically my dad had some, you know, crypto investments. So not, not the great, greatest timing at some point last year. Right. And so he prioritized. So even though he had values of transparency and happiness, he basically told my brother at some point when, you know, lost some money to like not tell our mom that like, hey, lost X amount of dollars. So, so he valued self-preservation in a way like well he, he valued the happiness of right. my mom over okay. the transparency of that communication so like for, so that would be a situation where there would be so I I don't know the, the details right of course was it more he valued the happiness of your mom or that he valued his rep, reputation that may be I think both are valid right right I, I, I would probably say it's probably a mix of both um, right. I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is there are values, there are lived values, and then there are these written values that we have. And then within each of those, those values have a, basically, it's a decision-making framework. And we are making quick decisions based off of these inherent values that we live by. And... you know, prioritizing them ahead of time will help us make those decisions quicker because we know, hey, transparency is a higher value than our happiness for each other because I'd rather know the news than you hide something from me and, you know, whatever consequences there are after. So, like, you know, and neither one is right or wrong, but just getting on the same page, the alignment between that. So, like, the values not just having them explicit individually, but having the values as a family, as a partnership, as, a, as friends or as a business, right? There's all these extra layers that are added when there are values on a multiple people level compared to an individual level too, that I was getting exposure to, you know, the last couple of weeks that I've seen um, all these things, events happen from. So it was, I just wanted to share where I was coming from, sure, and a situation where um, that happened. Um, I guess. Do you? I guess having that context. Are there any situations like that that like come to mind? It's like, hey, these are things that I have. Like that have been in some sort of competing realm. Um, I mean, it's, it's certainly a valid question. Yeah. Or, or a situation where you've thought about your values intentionally rather than just like these inherent values. Right. I mean, I, I don't know how, 
personal I should get oh, okay. and how, how appropriate it is to get overly personal. But, um, you know, transparency is related to honesty and trustworthiness and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, there are people that, you know, we love and care about that maybe we're not, at least in, in my case, not equally transparent with, I guess would be a, a way of putting it. Um, so, you know, for instance, I, I found myself over the last year or two being less transparent, maybe, um, with my parents and viewing them less as confidants and more viewing close friends as confidants, um, which feels like a, I don't want to say an unfortunate shift because I'm happy to view close friends as confidants, but maybe unfortunate that I am less transparent with my parents. I wouldn't say there's anything that I'm hiding. It's not, I, I haven't blown a bunch of money on a crypto investment or anything like that. But where, you know, when I used to be confronted uh, with difficult life decisions, or previously when I'd be confronted with difficult life decisions, my first thought would be to go to them. They're older. Um, they have more life experience. Uh, ask them for their advice. And now I'm more inclined to go to people that are at similar stages in life to me that are living through these decisions and experiencing these sorts of things at the same time uh, as opposed to my parents who have made most of the decisions that I'm trying to process and if I go to them for advice they're going to relate it to the framework that they applied and the decisions that they made so if I you know intend to do something that's different or you know outside of the realm of what they considered um, then I'm not going to be met with um, affirmation, you know, necessarily, and and, and that's good, right? And yet, the, it sh you shouldn't just be sur surrounding yourself with, with yes men, right? It's it's important to get pushback, um, but I feel like sometimes there's an unwillingness to consider alternate paths and alternate perspectives. Uh, so I don't know. That that's that's you know I know I, I we've discussed you know previously. What should a parent-adult-child uh, relationship look like, right? And that's something that I've been thinking about and, and struggling a lot with. So I, I guess you know there is sort of this, um, you know, in my relationship with them, maybe there are these competing values where I want, um, you know, the obvious um, evidence of of love and caring and. Uh, trust um, to be there and um, enjoyment of each other's company to be there um, and that maybe is to the detriment of some transparency or more open or frank discussions because whenever we I attempt to have those or whenever we you know try to have that type of discussion I guess it, it doesn't bear the results that I want in most cases so maybe that would be an instance of uh, of competing values there um, but you're right I mean these competing values do exist uh, you know I've talked about my political views um, on podcast episodes uh, previously right and there are certain decisions that you know I've made in my own life and sometimes based off of my politics sometimes not and yet even among you know even with friends that I you know know very well and trust very closely or with relatives that I know very well and trust very much um, I might not always be inclined to 
uh, go full force with sharing political views or sharing different personal decisions that I've made. Um, so I guess there, there is sort of a, a deprioritization or lower prioritization level of um, uh, you know, the, tra the honesty, maybe not honesty, it's not that I'm being dishonest, but um, I don't know, transparency, which I did not list as a value earlier, but um, it is something worth considering. Uh, maybe a lower prioritization level of transparency and placing more of a, uh, a higher value um, on getting along and pleasantness in the relationship. Right, like, like amicability. Right, exactly. Right. Hmm. Yeah, something you mentioned there was like about like these mentors, confidants. How do you, so if, if you're seeing, if I'm understanding correctly, if you're seeing other people also in this mentor confidant role where you've previously seen, or to a lesser extent now your parents, how, how have you gone about, has there been an intentional process or has it just been like friends that you reach out to but like, you know. I wouldn't say there's been an intentional process. It's just something that I've kind of felt happening over time. Mm -hmm. I guess like what sorts of people do you go to for like different sorts of advice basically or input it's to get that different perspective, right? That pushback that you're saying rather than all these yes people that you're surrounding yourself with. Right. I mean the getting put, right. I mean because my parents will give me pushback sometimes, and, that, and that's important. So I, I, I do go to them. Um, and although pushback is important, that doesn't mean that I'm always seeking it out. Right? That's certainly a, a blind spot at times. Um, so perhaps I don't go to as many sources um, you know, for pushback as I should be. Um, it does feel like a lot of the time family is more where I would go for pushback. And people that I... You know, speak to regularly um, because we sought each other out. You know, because, because there's not that the, the, of course there's mutual admiration with relatives as well, um, but people that I don't know just because of a family bloodline, um, I guess would be more maybe more in the yes men role, and relatives would be more in the pushback role. I don't know. I'm trying to trying to yeah. talk through this, think through this. Yeah. I don't know. I, w what about with you? Where do you go for for pushback? Where do you go for affirmation? To whom do you generally turn for these sorts of discussions and decisions? I would say one person I've gone to recently has been my coach. My life in business and career coach kind of all in one yeah so I've started working with him in October of 2022 so it's been about six months now so he's he's had the corporate life you know for a while that he lived he started his own business his coaching practice he's had that for eight nine years so he's basically eight, nine years ahead of where I am right now. So he has that experience of what is it like being in this position where my, the full-time job that I'm getting a paycheck with is, you know, is fine, is good. And if presented the opportunity, if I had enough income, et cetera, I would transition to 
some other form of revenue, which for me it would be life coaching, life and career coaching. So I go to him for, so we have these like bi-weekly two-hour calls. So that's a great time for me to basically lay out everything to kind of use that as like a semi-therapy session for semi-consulting of like, hey, what should I do in my business right now? How should I approach work um, as I transition to um, to making coaching my full-time thing um, and poking holes? So like I, I led a workshop a few, like about a month ago, um, co-facilitated with someone for like 80, 90 people and I ran it by him. So it's like, you know, very, this is a very tactical thing. Right. Um, and then we also talk about general life thing, like relationships, you know, romantic relationships, uh, along with like family stuff, so et cetera. So, so someone who's had that um, overall experience. So like uh, relying on friends is good Right. And being able to have someone who is paid to think about you, that's what I've seen the value in. Hmm. Where you're, I'm paying this person, I'm investing in someone to think about me as their job, as part of their job. Um, where friends will do that, good friends will do that um, naturally. Right. But the but we don't necessarily inherently place any value on advice from friends but we're almost forced to place value on the well, advice I mean, from we, like coaches we could i mean it well, right, depends we, on on the nature of the relationship and how we view each friend correct but i don't think it's nat- it's not a first thought that you have when you talk about when you're having a conversation with friends like oh is this is this conversation right now worth x amount of dollars in value versus that is a thought process when you're talking w- about a coach or someone that you hire it's like right. is our interaction throughout this month or in the coaching sessions is it worth x amount of dollars per month or a transformation that i'm going to make over the course of the commitment so that is a thought process that i do have working with the coach versus just friends right and as we know you know good friends or friends it's, it's <laughs> don't not, it, let friends by the way it's nice it, bad coffee <laughs> It's, it's, it's nice to know that you clearly place, when I'm talking about obscure geographic <laughs> topics, yeah. you're clearly attaching a low dollar figure to that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but there's a sign behind us for all the listeners out there at Knowledgeburg that says, friends don't let friends drink bad coffee. So that's the reference here. You didn't, you didn't read it in all caps like it's oh. written. Well, there was a period at the end. There is. It was not an exclamation mark. True. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... You know, for right now, like that's a that's a person that I go to regularly for kind of everything. Right. My brother is someone that I go to for a lot of things now as well. Um, right. And I I don't have any siblings, so mm-hmm. perhaps my answer would be significantly different if I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, parents. I, I would say, you know, high level here. I think it's similar. Where I don't share everything with them. Right. Um, I share what I feel like is necessary. Right. Um, and then with friends, it's like almost like a, it, it's almost like Harry Potter uh, with like all the horcruxes. It's like, hey, there's a different part of me that I let myself show right. to other, to different people, whether it's a coworker friend, whether it's a friend from high school or from college friend um, that I met in Charlotte, more entrepreneurial versus more entertainment. Um, and something I've thought about recently is like these friends of 
you know, I think what is Aristotle who kind of came up with this like friends of entertainment, friends of utility, and friends of virtue. So like, okay, starting to think about who are my friends, how do they fit in? Um, and you know, ideally I want friends who are all three, and those are my closest friends, closest people. Um, and, and, you know, I would put that, you would win that category. Of like, hey, we have these similar values, and we have, you know, we are useful to each other. <laughs> No. <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah. laughs> we provide value. Uh, I, I, the, your intent is better than how that sentence came out. <laughs> and, we're, and we are entertained by each other. Gen generally, that is accurate. Yes. <laughs> um, right, so it's like all three, all three of those aspects. Versus some people, you know, for me, it's like, hey, they're just entertainment, and that's fine. Right. Some people are just, you know, useful, <laughs> right? Um, Nothing more, nothing less, and that's fine. So that's a long way to answer. I mean, if they're answer. just useful, are, are they friends? I, I would say they're like, like, those are people, you know, I don't know if this is a correct way to think about it, but those are people that I may not feel comfortable hitting up if I wanted, was like crashing a night right. in their city. Like, hey, can I crash at your place? Right. I probably wouldn't be comfortable doing that. But if I, hey, let's grab a coffee, I would feel comfortable doing that. I see. So, yeah, I don't know. Is, uh, I guess, how do you view, um, I guess, how, how is your friend, or not just friends, but like your overall social circles, how has that transformed over the last five, 10 years, like, you know, since college? Um, I mean, adult relationships, adult friendships generally take more effort, right? It's, it's not like when I was in school or, um, uh, you know, when I was in college where I'm going to see these people every single day. Um, there's a certain amount of effort, and you know, that means uh, there's also a certain amount of prioritization. I, I mean, I want to, I guess, stay away from the notion of ranking friends. There's something dissatisfying to me about that. But in a sense, there is. I mean, if, if there are only so many hours in a day, you know, 23 hours, 56 minutes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there are X number of, th or an infinite number of things, I guess, that, that we desire, um, that we either, you know, want to do with our time or that we desire, you know, tangibly, tangible items, wh whatever the case may be. Um, there, there is a natural prioritization. Uh, that's not to say that you can't maintain relationships and friendships with, with everyone that's important to you, but naturally there are going to be people that become uh, fr friends that you talk to once a year. And there are going to be people that are friends that you talk to multiple times a week. Um, so you know, I, I guess that's one of the, the biggest changes since college, since that's the time period that, that you're asking me about, um, is that friendships take more effort and that kind of has a self-selecting process of figuring out what the value is in those relationships and what to get out of those relationships. You know, who am I going to call when I need to discuss something that's more personal in nature? And, um, you know, who am I going to contact because I haven't seen them for a while and it would be nice to go have a meal and catch up with them, but not necessarily get overly personal, 
maybe not by um, conscious avoidance of personal topics, but just given the nature of the relationship, it's more talking about what you've done over the last nine months since you last saw the person, uh, as opposed to discussing, um, you know, deeply personal matters. Um, whereas I, I guess when I was in high school or college, um, I don't know, maybe they were all friends of entertainment, uh, to use that phrase of yours. Maybe, maybe that's what those friendships were. Um, and maybe, you know, looking back, I could see, uh, you know, a depth uh, developing in some of these relationships and some of them maybe being less shallow. But, um, I mean, I, I don't know what friendships looked like for you in high school because I didn't meet you until college. But, I mean, most of my friendships growing up, we would bond over mutual interests, activities that we, that we both enjoyed. Um, obviously have the connections through, through school and, you know, be involved in the same activities at school or discuss things related to school. Um, there wasn't really a lot of talk about, you know, these, more, these bigger picture topics of our lives. I mean, I never considered these sorts of questions when I was 15 years old. I was 15 years old, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not something that's generally on your radar at that age. Um, but I guess so maybe, that is, maybe that's something that's changed as well, is that uh, you know, I, I never thought of it in terms of those three different sorts of categories of friends. Uh, but maybe when you're younger, friendships are primarily friendships based around mutual interests and activities that both parties enjoy. And then as you grow older and there's more effort required to maintain these friendships, um, there's sort of a natural hierarchy of friends or prioritization that develops based on your particular wants and desires and needs at various times uh, and based on you know, which friendships have a little more depth to them and fall into uh, multiple categories, whereas which friendships um, just involve you know, someone that you like and respect and it's nice to maintain contact, but where there's a level of closeness that is lacking. Mm. I mean, you're talking about like, hey, these are questions that... And how, how, is, how have your views on, on friendship changed in that time period? Yeah, so since college... It also generally seems harder to make friends as an adult. It, it, again, it requires more effort. Yeah, because... I mean, when you're, when you're in school, there's sort of a self-selecting process of being with people that are similarly aged, often from similar backgrounds, for better or for worse, who have similar interests because you're going to gravitate to the same sorts of classes or activities. Uh, you know, it's out here in the real world, if this is the real world, um, where it, it takes more effort to find these sorts of people. Yeah. And where there's generally, not, not always, but generally seemingly a smaller pool of viable candidates, I guess, that you would interact with on a daily basis. Right, which leaves, it's almost like the, the choice paradox of like, you have so many options that you feel paralyzed by these, right. all these options, and then you're, you're like, screw it, I'm just going to remain in the same friend circles and then do the same things, and then you look back in 30 years like, how did I grow? It's very easy to fall into a comfort zone in these sorts of, with these sorts of matters. And I think that there's a lot to be said uh, for maintaining long-time friendships, uh, which is why I put a tremendous amount of value on that. And um, 
I guess I this does come back to the prioritization of friends thing. There are a lot of people I consider friends that if I never reached out to them again, the friendship would die. I would never hear from them again. You're obviously not one of those people, but there are all sorts of people from, from middle school and high school that the only reason that I still contact is because I make the effort. Um, and I, I do perceive there to be value in, in doing that and keeping those relationships alive that have um, you know, persisted for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, I, I do view that as value, but uh, you know, there's also a comfort zone with those sorts of people, even if um, it feels one-sided with the effort level sometimes. And it's very easy to fall into that comfort zone and not figure out what could be done what you can do to seek out other people to potentially make friendships, develop friendships with as an adult. Yeah. Like, uh, my interaction with, like, high school friends has become less and less, and it's it's been more based around, honestly, things like fantasy sports. Like, that is one of the common threads that I, I was more involved in in high school and even college compared to now and we were talking about this earlier about our um, interest in sports from when we were kids to now we younger kids to when we are we're now. still basically kids. yes yeah. we are <laughs> which is why I mentioned younger said younger kids right. um, but like which is great I mean so we have our, whole, our, <laughs> our future is in front of us our, our ability to do great satisfying fulfilling things for ourselves and for other people is well in front of us <laughs> exactly so like and I and it's, it's like we were talking about like how our values may have changed over time it's yeah you know like the other people's values well, have changed course. as well and so do i feel like you know like right now i'm in a bracket challenge group you know for march madness um ncaa march madness that is um with other people and do i how comfortable do i feel hanging out with them um from like how were our hangouts in high school versus what are we doing and talking about and engaging in now 10 years later right so seeing those differences in activities like i think weddings are actually a great way to see those yeah. because you like you those are basically reunions right. of that friend group over time like snapshots in time they're almost time right. capsules of how has each person transformed or developed from high school to you know each wedding basically and if those are the only interactions and then throw in like fantasy sports in there it's a pretty minimal friendship yeah right exactly and you know it's fine it's like maybe we're just friends of entertainment and and that's what it is right and you know if if even that at that point right yeah might be an overly generous term right on the other hand it's like yeah would i pay you know twenty dollars every few you know once a year to keep that bond between people who I otherwise would not really be in touch with so mm-hmm. that, you know, you're saying that emphasis on long-term friendships since you place that value on that. I mean, I do too. It's like, okay, like would I invest that money to keep that friendship? Yeah. I, I would say so. And that's been more of my justification, even though my interest in fantasy sports and sports in general has decreased over the last few years. So it's, it's like, there's a lot of values at play there. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm like, it's 25 bucks for it. And it's like, let me just right. mess around. And then it's always, it's always something to talk about as well when I do meet up with them. 
whether it's same city or you know whatever it is so I guess one question I have is I mean, how well, many but yeah. how many of these people are you meeting up with if you're in the same city not very often but, but I mean if you right. were in the same city are you necessarily contacting them so like, I think that's one of the like I prefer smaller you know intimate settings it's like right. one-on-one or a small group where right. we can have these uh, like discussions I, as do I right compared to hey let's let's go out and let's like drink and let's go out to the clubs and well, I'm, I'm bars right. or whatever I have no interest. <laughs> I wouldn't say minimal interest. Zero interest in those sorts of activities. I don't drink. I won't drink. Right. I'm not going to do those things. Right. And, you know, I'll, I'll have a drink here and there, um, et cetera. But, like, those... Um, just, like, I... Like, those people that initiate the, like, the group... Um, you know, gatherings and parties or whatever it is, I would much rather have like individual coffees with them and like have lunch with them. Like, hey, let's us three or us four, if we're in this same town, let's let's grab lunch or dinner, right? And then we have this deeper conversation. And if they're not about that deeper conversation, then it's like, okay, these are our values have changed over time. When that situation arises, are you generally the person to organize, or does someone else organize? I've. Or does that situation just not arise? So I've become less of the organizer okay. when I feel that our values are diverging a little bit or the, the types of interactions are diverging Right. Um, versus if it's people that I want to spend more time with, then I will be the initiator. Okay. I, I f- the overwhelming majority of the time, I, you know, I'm the initiator and I'm the person organizing. Um, but I, I don't know, you, know, you mentioned diverging values, and I, I don't know how many of these people it's diverging values. It's just maybe going on a path through life where I'm, I'm not feeling the, the urge to contact them or, or speak to them as often. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah, and some people my, our age are you know, have families and kids and it's like that family is, right. you know, raising a kid is an important value for them that is not a factor for it's us not right on our, Right. Um, right. So I guess it's so one thing since you are a teacher and we're talking for about now. For, for now, um, since you are around, you know, teenagers more often than I probably am or I am on a daily basis. Right. Do you feel like that generation is more equipped or more willing to talk about these conversations that you say when you were 15 years old that that weren't coming up to mind as often? First of all, I don't think I'm qualified to speak on behalf of my generation. (laughs) Um, I'm qualified to speak on behalf of me. Can maybe offer a few insights for other people that I talk to, but I... um, I valued quality over quantity in terms of relationships when I was in high school, so I I don't know that I'm qualified to compare across generations. Um, Yeah, so I I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I try to, obviously not with the level of depth that I would have with you, um, you know, I have to be, you know, cognizant of the fact that these are minors, but I do try to 
and you know maybe plant a few seeds related to considering some of these sorts of future looking topics um, you know and then you know if I you know the ones that I stay in touch with perhaps um, you know five years from now I, I, I will sense where that's gone I I, I don't know it, it's uh, I don't know it's it's a it's a difficult question to answer um, I, you know I, I hope that I'm doing right by the teenagers that I'm interacting with I, I you know I do ask them questions about what they want to do after they graduate from high school what their my ideal career path would be what they want what their parents might want you know I, I do try to start these conversations to get them thinking um, no one ever sat down with me and said you know these are your options or you know, let's take a let's talk about what you're good at. Let's talk about where your interests lie. Let's talk about what you might want to do. Let's talk about how what you might want to do might align with perceived options that exist. No one ever had those conversations with me. So you know, I graduated from high school, and I went to college, because people in my family go to college, and people that graduate towards the top of their graduating class at highly regarded suburban high schools go to college. It wasn't because there was something I wanted to do in college or becoming in college or experience in college, I didn't give it any thought. That's just, it's, you know, as, as Colin Hanks' character says in the movie Orange County, it's what you do after high school. So that's why I went to college. I didn't know what I was going to study there. I studied computer science, not because I wanted to, initially, not because I wanted to study computer science, but because I'd taken a couple computer science classes uh, and my parents wanted me to do that because they thought there'd be job opportunities there. Then I switched to a history major. Not because there was anything I wanted to do with that besides get the piece of paper as quickly as I could and stop wasting my time there. Um, because I had credits that would apply you know, differently to a liberal arts degree plan than a, a natural sciences degree plan, um, where computer science fits at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, so no, no one ever sat me down and, and had these sorts of conversations. No one asked me what I wanted to what I thought might sound cool. Uh, I remember in second grade doing a project on what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I did a uh, project on being a sportscaster, right? So maybe, maybe second grade teacher, um, <coughs> um, you know, was, I, I won't, I was, it's probably giving her too much credit to say she was trying to initiate that thought process, but I mean, that's something, right? I remember in seventh grade having to do some project about a college to attend and a, and a major. Um, but you know, and it's actually relevant and meaningful. Uh, no one was having these conversations with me. Uh, family, teacher, guidance counselor, otherwise. So I left high school and didn't really know what to do. Uh, in a lot of ways, still don't know what to do. <laughs> Figuring it out, hopefully. Uh, so I do try to have some of these conversations with my students. At the beginning of the second semester, I always, I always ask students um, you know, a series of questions like what is their favorite hobby and what are their plans after they graduate from high school and um, what career do they want and, and things like that. Um, and you know, this year for the first time I don't just teach a lot of freshmen and sophomores but I also have a lot of juniors and seniors since I have an AP class. Uh, and when I have these conversations, because I don't just ask them to you know, type up or write down their answers, I also discuss with every single student in all my classes. When I discuss these things with freshmen and sophomores, the conversation usually lasts about a minute. But when I discuss these things with juniors and seniors, and not just juniors and seniors, but juniors and seniors who are academically more successful generally, who are in AP classes and challenging themselves, 
these conversations might last the whole class period with one student, right? Um, and, and just be scratching the surface. It's much more of a, of a pressing concern and a relevant concern for them. Um, so I don't, I don't know that they're necessarily more open to it, but you know, maybe it's just that the, the, there's someone there that wants to have this conversation. Right, they, you know, I genuinely care about them as people, not not just as names on my roster, or, um, lines in a grade book to stick numbers next to, but like I, I want to see them be successful. I want to know what they end up doing with their lives, and I want to see them have happiness and joy and fulfillment. So I do try to initiate some of these conversations, and keep these conversations going with students in classes and students that I work with in extracurricular activities. Um, so you know, I've had very lengthy conversations with some students about where they might want to go to college, what they might want to study, trying to overcome some mental barriers in their minds in terms of what they can and cannot achieve. You know, the sort of thing like uh, going to Stanford is what other people do. You know, going to MIT is what other people do. I mean, there is a sense of self-confidence that has to be instilled that, okay, Stanford or MIT, that might, that might not be the best option for them. Maybe college isn't the best option for them. Maybe the best option, you know, obviously I live in Houston, is to stay in local and go to the University of Houston or go to Rice or something like that. Or maybe the best option for them is to go out of state. But there is sort of this breaking down you know, barrier and, and you know, instilling the self-confidence that um, it's not just that those other people do it. It's that the fact that other people do it proves it can be done. It's proof of concept, and they can do it too. And you know, breaking down that barrier. And the same thing would go with whatever they, their career path is, right? So, um, you know, I asked one of my students what he wanted to do, and he was—he's uh, a senior right now, so he'll graduate in two and a half months. And he was giving me a very convoluted answer about if he gets into this school, then he's looking at this program, and this school is this program. And he's trying to game the system, but he doesn't. It doesn't really sound like he's satisfied with a lot of these things that he's saying. So I, I said to him, okay, forget what you just said. It's 20 years from now, you're on your way to your dream career, what is it? And he said he wanted to be a doctor. Okay, pursue that. You're one of the smartest students I've worked with. You, you're one of the most capable students I've worked with. You can do it. Pursue that. I'll help you figure out how to get there. I'll provide you with the resources, with the assistance. You know, with contacts to get there, but pursue that. And don't worry about all these gaming the system in case this fails or that fails or everything fails. Um, so I, know, I, I try to have these conversations, um, you know, within the restrictions that, you know, there has to be, there have to be certain boundaries adhered to while the students are in, enrolled in high school and minors and while I'm a faculty member there. It's a lot different once they graduate and they're 18 and I go and meet them for coffee uh, than it is when they're 17 sitting in my class. Um, you know, there are certain boundaries there, but I, I try to plant little seeds. So I guess that was a very long-winded um, answer to your question and kind of rambling, so we'll see where you go with this. Yeah, I know. But it's, um, I th it's important to have these conversations. So I try to get them thinking in these terms early on. And again, I, I, you know, I, I want this to be a continuing dialogue with, I guess it's not humanly possible to do with every single student, right? That's a multi, I mean, this is my fifth year of teaching, so we're looking at like 800 students there. So that's not humanly possible. But for many of them, you know, I do want this to be something, a running dialogue um, and a process that I you know, am assisting with to the extent possible you know, while they're in high school and then after they graduate and, and as they're becoming adults. Um, so I, but I don't know that we could blanket it by generation. Um, it might just be more about uh, specific students, and is there someone there to kind of drive this line of conversation? Mm, love that. Is there, 
And we're reaching an hour here uh, for the people still, the avid listeners. Um, I was going to completely change topics here. Yes. Um, so let's, let, uh, let, let's do it. Where? Well, well, was there anything where, like where, last where, final? Where are we going? Well, <laughs> before there, um, was there any other, I guess, questions or thoughts that you had um, on that stuff, like wrapping, like tying a bow on that conversation that you wanted to ask me, or you're like, hey, let's let's just switch topics right now. Um, I mean, I, yeah. So I do want to switch topics. I mean, I guess you know something that we probably can agree on is you know, the importance to take a step back and be reflective and be introspective and be willing to engage in dialogue with people that you trust and that you feel comfortable doing so and thinking about these sorts of topics um, in obviously at a certain point you have to act but there is something to be said for pausing and reflecting before you, you continue down a path that 20 years from now you're going to wake up and wonder what just happened with your life yeah that's, that's the biggest that's the biggest thing I've seen yeah, so many it, people I, I mean I've been listening to Gary Vaynerchuk a lot more over the last nine months or so and um, something that he points out is and it's so simple but it's one life make sure there are no regrets I'm paraphrasing there <laughs> right but um, you know if we don't I mean I, your religious views are different than mine so maybe you do you know, believe in some form of reincarnation, but I do not, which means, and even if you do, I mean, that should be, I guess, irrelevant to this, right? We, we know at a minimum we are guaranteed one shot to go through this. Lay it all, all out on the line. Make sure that we're doing what we actually feel good about, providing value for others, providing value and happiness for ourselves as well. Yeah. Yeah, seeing, like, I've been exposed to more 30- and 40-year-olds in the last like year or so who are making that transition this this awakening if you will of like understanding oh like waking up from their corporate jobs waking up right. from this this um, I don't want to say nightmare but like it's like hey well like what have I been doing right like, and, and I, th- I think one of the reasons why maybe I don't have these conversations with my parents the way that I once did is because they they don't realize this panoply this plethora of options that currently exists because they're still thinking of it in terms when they were going through school and when they were starting careers and it was a much different world it's a very similar world in a lot of ways but nowadays there are way more ways to make money better ways more fun ways more fulfilling ways more enriching ways more meaningful ways to make money to have a career to craft your life than ever before so why would we just limit ourselves to the options that existed decades ago when we can consider our own interests and passions and abilities and values and you know, if we are so inclined, try to create our own path that best aligns with that within the scope of this vast array of options that we couldn't have conceived of as a society 20 years ago that are very achievable for the, the average person today yeah like i was on a so like that retreat that i mentioned or like the the workshop that i was leading right um i was on a car ride with a few like all college kids like sophomores in college and the conversations that those guys were having like they want to go into gaming like e-gaming esports as an industry as a job and that was not a conversation even when we were going through college that was not a, a viable career option or if it was it was like supplemental to some other full-time job if you will right 
So it's like, hey, these these conversations have been changing in the last five to seven years, right. and who knows where they'll be in I the mean, next it's, five years. It's great to have that job out of 1985 if it's still relevant today, and, and, and that's where your heart is. But we're not just limited to the options that existed in 1985. Mm-hmm, exactly. Now, the... To make a full turn of events here, I... Oh gosh, uh, where are we going? So, a couple of uh, dots to connect here throughout the conversation and sure, the timeline. So, one, one dot it. is I mentioned that I clarified in one of my responses that we were talking at the time about NCAA March Madness oh, um, no. and not just any March Madness. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and we are in March Madness right now since we're recording this March 18th. We are. So. Uh, we've discussed offline here about creating a list. Oh God! Of <laughs> um, uh, well, so as, as background context to this, you have been as one of your assignments um, to your students. Right in my AP European History classes, I uh, as a as a grade padding project opportunity, uh, wanted them to select 64 individuals that we had covered in the course up through a couple weeks ago. So that spans roughly 1450 where the course begins, um, or the beginning of the Renaissance, or just people that we've covered. So we covered Petrarch as being the first Renaissance humanist. He predates 1450. Um, We covered a few topics pre-1450, 100 Years War, so Joan of Arc would be a viable candidate. We covered the Black Death, so Giovanni Boccaccio and Cameron would be a a viable topic. We talked about the the Western Schism and the Avignon Papacy. Um, We've also covered a few ancient authorities along the way, Ptolemy, Galen, Aristotle, um, but more or less going from 1450 up through 1914 with the onset of World War I, which is where we were when I assigned the project, uh, and they were to pick 64 individuals, 32 rulers, 32 thinkers, to, or 32 political figures and 32 non-political fig- fig- figures, um, and categorize them into kind of old and new, roughly divided by either the onset of the French Revolution or the conclusion of the Congress of Vienna in 1815 and the, the defeat of Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo. Um, and they would have these four categories and they were supposed to seed the individuals based on influence within those four categories uh, and then ultimately determine the most influential political figure, most influential uh, non-political figure and the most influential overall figure in the scope of European history that we had covered at that time. Uh, so, yes, I, where are we going with this? We've had side conversations about U.S. history, about um, you know, U.K. and France and, and Russia and we, Hungary, where we both neither of us is sufficiently qualified to do this, um, uh, as well as Texas and, and Kansas. And uh, where, where are we going with this? So, uh, instead of, ha- I know this would be a full podcast series in and of itself if we tried to have a full 64 or si- even 16. You know, you um, know that I want to do this as a podcast series yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let, let's, great let's, fun. let's shorten this um, to, let's say, the final four. Oh, God help us. Um, of, of the UK one. Of the, of, the, of the UK one. Oh, sorry. Well, of, yeah, yeah. Of, wow. Well, you're, you're putting me on the spot there. Yeah. So, like. We discussed the US one in great depth. We, we made passing references to some potential UK individuals, but we didn't really narrow it down to four. Exactly. So, I, I, this, this will be like the, you know, draft one of like, hey, here are the initial people that we're thinking about as like, here are the final four participants of the United Kingdom, all of history. And, and then. As we, as you or we, do that series or this exercise of actually digging into people's like uh, histories and comparing them, weighting them, etc., then we can see a great podcast idea. Then we can look back and be like, oh, obviously we missed this person. Oh, actually, we're thinking about these. All right. So United Kingdom, 
So I need four, right? Yes. All right. Uh, I'm going to try to have four different general categories represented. I, I see you ready to write this down or type it in your yeah. phone. So, uh, From the literary sphere, we're going to go with William Shakespeare. I had him written down already. Uh, you already have your four. Uh, I, have, I have a couple of uh, names. From the monarchical sphere, we're going to go with Henry VIII. Um, from the political sphere, non-monarchy, we're going to go with Winston Churchill. And then I need a fourth, so uh, we could do someone um, science-related, someone more pop culture or art-related. So, any famous very, musicians? Very difficult. I mean, so Paul McCartney is someone that would come to mind, given the the influence that the Beatles had on uh, on global music. So maybe we'll we'll put him as a placeholder while I. Well, I mold this over. I don't know that I want to double up on authors. You know, someone like um, uh, Charles Dickens would be a very strong candidate, but I, I don't want. I don't know that I want to double up on. I, well, Shakespeare's a playwright, but not on literary figures, um, artists. I mean, I, Gainsborough, Turner. Like, I'm, I'm not sufficiently convinced by anyone there. Um, I mean, I'm sure that, like, I guess science is there, who's, like STEM. Stephen Hawking. That's an option, I think. Uh, or maybe like some in, 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 invent, inventor or some sort of like, because we were James, talking a little James bit about- James Watt, cause we, yeah, the we steam were, engine. We were, yeah, throwing those types would, of would, names around. Right. James Watt would be a viable candidate. Mm -hmm. Any other monarchs? Because you said Henry VIII. Well, he stands out. Right. I mean, John I, Edward I. Elizabeth the first Henry the eighth the one that mm -hmm. really stands out because the English Reformation and um, you know the split from the Catholic Church the establishment of the Church of England I mean Thomas Cranmer would be valid as the Archbishop of Canterbury um, and coming up with the, the Book of Common Prayer. what about Oliver Cromwell Oliver Cromwell would be certainly a viable candidate from the interregnum um, I guess among the English Civil War figures, he would probably be the the most viable candidate. W what about Magna Carta? Was it, was that? Yeah. So I, I mentioned John the First. Oh, that was it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, okay so, I mean, okay. So, so we've thrown these okay, names around. William the Conqueror. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna. Yeah, that, that, that's <laughs> that feels like low hanging fruit there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now. Well, who who are you for? Well. Well, we haven't narrowed it down before. You, uh, you've thrown out all these names. I'm not going to let you off the hook here. Um, so, I feel like of the names that you've mentioned, I feel like... Bend it like David Beckham. Uh, I mean, he's a viable <laughs> candidate. I, th I think he's in the full field of 64. Probably. Potentially. Um, so, I would, I would have Shakespeare in it. Yes. I had him and Churchill as take, an take that Christopher Marlowe, <laughs> Ben Johnson, and other contemporary playwrights of his. All right, you had what? Ch Churchill. Yeah, uh, Shakespeare and Churchill. Um, who? Maybe maybe John Locke considers uh, mention. Oh yes, he probably meant or uh, John Locke and Thomas Hobbes would both merit consideration, mm -hmm. of course. What about uh, was it not capitalism, but like Adam Smith? Adam Smith. Right, Scottish. We said British. How was he? Okay. He'd be eligible. David Hume would be eligible. Yeah, I mean, you know, Scotland alone, right? William Wallace and Robert the Bruce and the whole 
variety of options there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we have all these like philosophers. Andy Murray. <laughs> <laughs> yes, great philosopher, yeah. Andy Murray. <laughs> great playwright. Um, great player. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I mean, for me, I would probably have Shakespeare, Churchill. I mean, there there are other literary figures that we could consider. I know, yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, Oscar Wilde. I'm trying to think back when I, I was a, at Westminster Abbey, who 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 all did I did I see there? <laughs> I mean, of course, Duke of Wellington would be a you know a military figure. Um, Horatio Nelson. So are we, all right, here's uh, Chris, Christopher Ray, you know, the uh, um, not Christopher Ray. He was FBI director. Uh, Wren. Uh, the architect uh, Christopher Wren, hmm. uh, St. Paul's Cathedral, and, and numerous other churches across London mm -hmm. and the UK. All right, so here here's my four: uh, Shakespeare. Uh, yes, it is Christopher Wren good? Uh, Churchill. Yes, I'm going to say Adam Smith. Okay. And I might go Locke over Smith. So maybe I would do Shakespeare, Churchill, Henry VIII, and Locke. Maybe that, that would be my quartet. I'll go with, uh, I'll throw in a more I mean, recent. Sir I'll go, I'll go with, would be another that's option. That's true, yeah. I'll go with Paul McCartney as a more recent um, recent individual and a different right. realm as well. So, so those are my four right now. Of course, it, this is off the cuff without having sufficient time to fully think about all this. Um, so you, who did you say? You said Shakespeare? Shakespeare. Churchill, Chill. Henry VIII. I originally was thinking McCartney. Oh, but you said Locke. I settled on Locke. Okay. So we have about two or three of them yeah. in common. Of course, now we will have to do a full series um, on the full field of 64 and then brackets, regions, etc. So, so we'll see this. We'll revisit this whenever we actually do that full project um, and expand that to different countries as well. Potentially states, too. I mean, Florence Nightingale, did I mention her? She'd be a... No, yeah, that's right. Very... Valid can candidate here. Mm -hmm. Joseph yeah. Lister. Is he, is he British? Developer of antiseptics. So. Yeah. Lots, of, uh, There's lots of valid options. Yes. Yes. Lister and well, we, we didn't even get to explorers. Well, I mentioned Walter Raleigh. Briefly. Oh, okay, yes. But yeah, Henry Hudson. Yeah. Um, yeah, but okay, so, anyways, so that's though you guys just heard. Sir Francis Drake. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Change the topic. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, we're at an hour 15. Um, if anyone's still listening, chime in with your final four for UK political or non-political figures in history, most influential, impactful. So is there anything else that you want to add as we kind of wrap up our conversation in South Carolina? True. Uh we are in South Carolina, not North Carolina right now. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> um, of course. Yeah, I mean, the, this, this will be a fun series uh, as we get into it with, with uh, these sort of rankings of influential individuals. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this conversation had a different feel, I guess, than to, to some of the other conversations that we had. Um, well, maybe, that, maybe that was good. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. It was touched on a lot of topics. It was more profound throughout I would say, and then we added the casual in at the end. Well, a little bit of casual throughout, but sitting on this couch at Knowledge Perk. So, for anyone still listening, thank you for listening to another episode of the Size Eyes podcast. 
the Casually Profound series, round four with Adam Kamak, of many more to come as well. Thank you for listening, and I will see you all next time. Mm -hmm.